The radio home of the 76ers. Oh, boy, what a move by a beat. 97.3 ESPN, WENJ, WENJHD, Millville, Atlantic City. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco. My first allegiance is what will be best for the Philadelphia Eagles and our fans for the next three, four, five years. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Uh, Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast and brought to you locally by Dr. Lyle M. Back. For everything from skincare to cosmetic surgery, go to ilovelyleback.com or call 856-MAKEOVER for Dr. Lyle M. Back, proud sponsor of Football at Four. The latest Inside the Birds podcast drops Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays at 6 a.m. You can check it out with Adam Kaplan and Jeff Mosher right now. Andrew DeCecco from 97.3 ESPN.com covers the Eagles. Joins us here for Football at Four. And let's uh, take a look at uh, everything that's going on offseason draft-wise. Andrew, we want to uh, dive into uh, something with you that uh, you're the perfect guy for football at four today. I know how much you love the draft and how much you study the draft. So let's get into this. Uh, I don't know if you saw Bucky Brooks' most recent mock draft, but man, I wanted to get your opinion on what kind of reaction there would be if the Eagles took a tight end with the sixth pick in the draft. Yeah, well, I mean... I think the Eagles could stand the trade down a little bit in the first round and still be able to get uh, Kyle Pitts. But when you look at Nick Sirianni's offense, it's uh, you're going to see a lot of two tight end sets, I, I would assume. And Zach Ertz probably won't be here. So, I mean, you could certainly justify getting another um, elite tight end. And when you look at Kyle Pitts, the thing with him is, is he's not just a tight end. You can move him around. You can use Goddard as in Goddard's going to be the dominant would be the dominant blocker, but Pitts can be the, uh, a wide receiver. You can move him in the slot. He can move him um, all over the place. He's a mismatched weapon, and he runs routes like a wide receiver. And in some cases, I would be um, inclined to say that he runs routes better than many of the prominent wide receivers in this draft. So, I mean, could they stand to go elsewhere? And, and yes, that would be a luxury pick in my opinion. But I mean, he would certainly be. A, the ultimate weapon that you can move around, and uh, it would help any quarterback out, obviously. Let me ask you this. If you're considering taking a wide receiver at that spot, would you then say, why not consider Pitts? If you're already thinking about taking an offensive player and it's a, posi- a, a skill position player, why? Not? if you're going to take one of those wideouts, would you consider including him into that mix? I mean, I think you have to, and then look no further than the Brian Johnson connection there at Florida, um, who has familiarity there. He's able to give a little bit of insight about what what kind of a player he is, what kind of mismatches he can present for a for a team, how to best utilize him, and what he's going to be like in the locker room. I think that can't be discredited, and I mean, you, I mean, they could certainly go that route. I mean, they're they're going to use two tight ends. That's going to be a if you look at what Nick Sirianni did with the Colts, that was. You look at Jack Doyle, you look at Mo Alley Cox, you look at Trey Burton. Those guys are all heavily implemented in their offense, big pieces of their offense. So uh, when you get a guy like Kyle Pitts, he's such a rare athlete that, like I said, you can move him around. And he's going, and that's the way the NFL is really trending to get these movable guys around to create mismatches. And 
he's going to be a really good one for a long time in the NFL. Yeah, you make a great point saying that Sirianni's past implements the uh, the 12 personnel in the tight end. But I just wonder, based off of the situation at quarterback with Carson Wentz, if they do go after Pitts, do you think that it's a statement to Carson Wentz? Like, hey, we know you love the tight ends. We know it's your safety blanket. We're trying to fix you. Why not get you a piece that makes you feel more comfortable? Although, look, with the wide receiver, I guess it's a similar statement. But I do feel it's different with the tight end position. Yeah, I mean, I think you're in that position. You're not necessarily thinking of the quarterback. You're thinking of getting the best player available that's going to help your team. And he's a, certainly a blue chip player. Like I said, I, I've always been a proponent of fortifying the the lines, whether it be the offensive or defensive line. If an A. Sewell's there, the offensive tackle from Oregon, I certainly think he deserves some consideration. Any of those wide receiver, tight end, tackle, that's going to help any quarterback, regardless of whether it's Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz, doesn't matter. Um, but I do think that given the given the philosophy of the of the coaching staff, uh, I I think it'll be centered around an offensive player. What about Pitts would be exciting if they were to get him? And and to you, is he the clear top tight end in the class? Yeah, it's not even close. He's the top tight end in the, in the class. And what would what would excite what should excite fans if he was going to be the pick? Mike would be the mismatches, mismatches, and you're going to see that in the Super Bowl with Travis Kelsey. Those are the type of things that Kyle Pitts can do for the Eagles. He's a little bit more – he's more explosive than Goddard, which is kind of amazing to say because Goddard's explosive in his own right, but he's got more of a vertical element to his game. He can um, make things happen after the catch. He can turn cornerbacks cornerbacks around because of, with his route running, he's he's very polished and refined, and you don't really see that a lot of times with NFL tight ends. And like I said, you can't view Kyle Pitts as just a tight end. That's just a label. But when you look at his film and you can see the, the wide array of skill sets that he has, you, you have to be enamored with that. Yeah, obviously this is all hypothetical due to the mock draft, but how much influence do you think someone like Brian Johnson would have on the selection if they do go down that road, considering he coached at Florida. Yeah, like I, like I was saying earlier, I, I think that, that would be uh, his, his words would weigh a lot in that in the room because he's going to know what kind of guy is this in the locker room. What are his what are his strengths? How can you best utilize him to to the offense's advantage? What does he need to work on? What should we be harping on from day one with him? What weight do we want to see him play at? Because he's a little bit of, light, of a lighter tight end than the mold of a Trey Burton. These are all different, unique insights that Brian Johnson has that I certainly think will be a factor when the evaluation process is taking place and, and in that war room. Now let me ask you, Andrew. Do, do you like Pitts better than any of the three wide receivers? Um. Uh, yeah, I, to to an extent, I do because I, I like the big bodied option. I like the fact of having a guy that you can move around that you don't just have to put in the slot or you don't just have to put on the outside. He just adds to the to the you know you get a guy like Jalen uh, Jalen Rager in space. You get Kyle Pitts and you move him around. You have Dallas Goddard. I think that these are the type of players that would really fit with a Nick Sirianni offense. What we, just the versat- from a versatility standpoint, I, I think it just makes the offense run that much more smooth. And if you want to get as many good players, obviously, as you can, not saying, obviously, that Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase aren't, but I, I think Kyle Pitts is a, is a plug-and-play guy from day one. He's ready to go. He's polished. 
He's very refined from a route running standpoint. Can't say that with Jamar Chase at this at this stage of his of where he's at in the pre uh, pre draft process. So I mean, yeah, I mean, if I had to go that route, if you're asking me between the three receivers and him, I would probably go Kyle Pitts. But um, ultimately, I would go. I would head lean towards offensive line if it were me. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of the fans bring up Smith and Chase, but when it comes to that six pick, if if it is Waddle available, like what do you see in him that would be intriguing or something that would maybe shy you away from someone like Waddle? And maybe it's the injury, but uh, you know, what do you think about that? Well, the one thing that w- that would kind of steer me away, and listen, Waddle is a very explosive, dynamic talent in his own right. I don't. I think that taking him at six would be a bit of a reach, to be honest with you. I, I do think that he's probably a top twelve talent. But um, I think that if they were to trade down and pick up another pick, he would still be there. I mean, yeah, the injuries scare you away a little bit. I think he's more of a complete receiver than some of the other than uh, the other the other two guys. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, given the Eagles' history with injuries and and things like that, I think that you have to go. Uh, you're going to be at least hesitant to go that route, especially at, at pick number six. When I think that. Um, even even Kyle Pitts, to be honest with you, at, at six to me would be a reach. I think he's a top ten guy, no doubt. But um, I, I think there's a little bit more value with a player like Kyle Pitts for his versatility. Yeah, Andrew Decheco, football at four here, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Yeah, I, I I like Pitts, and I agree that the intrigue is there. Like that is something that would be intriguing to add, especially well, obviously if you let Ertz go. If you had Ertz, that pick would be out the window, but. If what Pitt's skill set brings, that would be a message that we're trying to give to me anyway, Andrew, see if you agree. We're trying to give a comfort zone to Carson Wentz. Like the top receiver on the Eagles during the Wentz era has been the tight end every single year. It was either Ertz or Goddard. One year they were the top two. So that message to me is we are doing everything we can to make him comfortable. Well, any little move that the Eagles make, it's going to be, you know, everyone's going to scrutinize and say, was that move catered to Carson Wentz or was that more catered to Jalen Hurts? Adding a tight end to an offense, a a top-level tight end, is going to help any quarterback. Quarterbacks tend to lean that way, especially when dealing with pressure. It's good to have that security blanket over the middle. Look at Tom McNabb. Chad Lewis was one of his main targets. Quarterbacks all over. I mean, Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes always goes to Travis Kelsey. It's just having a guy that can work the middle of the field, take advantage of linebackers and safeties that aren't necessarily, they don't have either the length or the athleticism to keep up with these guys. It's going to make a quarterback more comfortable. So, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, I think if they were to go with him, it still would be, uh, it would be a, a reach to say, oh, this was more with, uh, this, made, this move was made with Carson Wentz in mind. I, I mean, I think that that would help any quarterback. Let's say they don't get a tight end. Let's say they don't go the route of Pitts. If they move on from Ertz as well, do you think Goddard and, I'm just hypothetically speaking, Rodgers again is a good enough duo? Because when Rodgers played last year, I mean, there were moments where he was getting 60 yards or so in a game, and he kind of rejuvenated himself a bit. Is that enough? Um, I don't necessarily know if it's going to be enough. Yes, he certainly, he certainly, you know, show that he can perform at a high level. I don't know if he can do that for a full slate of games. He has suffered a number of injuries over the past few seasons. I mean, there's going to be a guy who's a homegrown guy, Kenny Yaboa. He's uh, from Allentown. He played at Temple. He transferred uh, to Ole Miss. He was in the Senior Bowl. He's a guy that I really like. He's a guy that I'm going to be talking to early in the pre-draft process here. 
he's another guy that I think can be a fourth or fifth round player that can also create mismatches and things like that. If you don't want to necessarily invest blue chip talent, uh, a blue, uh, uh, a high draft capital pick on a tight end and that high, there's going to be other options there to get, get some of these guys. So I don't know that you can go into the season with just Richard Rodgers as, you know, the, the, the primary backup to Dallas Goddard because both players have a lengthy injury history. Yeah, and I know that uh, one thing for sure is um, the wide receiver room is going to be kind of interesting. You talk about the tight ends, but for the first time for two straight years, Andrew, they're going to have the same wide receiver coach, a little bit of continuity there, and this is going to be a really interesting wide receiver room if they don't take a wide receiver at number six. So, you know, what they have left here, do they have to add to it or – is this young crew something that, with Moorhead for the second year, that you would be intrigued to bring back as is? I think they need to add another big-bodied receiver because, obviously, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside has not really panned out, and you don't want to go into this season assuming that this is going to be the year that he turns the corner because if you don't do that, then it becomes a house of cards, and you have a lot of guys that are playing out of position, and you're forcing a lot of guys to do things they're not necessarily accustomed to doing, much like you saw this year when they put all the eggs in the Deshaun Jackson and the J-Jaw basket. I, I think if they could add a big-bodied guy, I don't, I don't know that you need to invest a um, premium pick in a player like that. And I do think that they have some pieces there that it would be nice to see how Aaron Moorhead can build on, on what he's already worked with these guys on with a full offseason. Your Quez Watkins, who kind of resembles, who can have maybe somewhat of a T.Y. Hilton role in this offense, perhaps. You have Jalen Rager, he's going to have another full off season. John Hightower. You want to see what you have in these guys, and you want to let these guys develop instead of having to completely, you know, sweep the sweep the room and get a new get a new guys in there. And um, you really need to see what you have. And I, I, without having to completely overhaul it, I think you can stand to add yet another player. But um, I mean, let's see what you have there first. And given they're going to have a normal off season, second year receiver coach for the first time in a long time. Let's see what Aaron Moorhead can do and get the most out of these guys. All right now, how, what did you think? I mean, because they kept changing the receiver. Or what? What? How do you read into how the receiver coach has done, uh, or they've been scapegoats? Well, you can you can look. It's unique. Every situation is unique because with Greg Lewis, I thought, yeah, see, he was a little bit young, but he was able to go to a situation with the Chiefs where they had a little bit more talent there. But as Jeff outlined. The, the good players didn't regress, and the younger players, the backup players, they kind of they kind of saw their roles elevate, and, and they kind of elevated their play. And I, I think Greg Lewis could have been given another year, but, but there's a guy like a Hunter Brewer who I don't believe that that was – I think that was solely on the coach, uh, the guy who came in from UNC, Matt Collins, the wide receiver coach. Carson Walsh, it was evident that it was it was the coaching with him. It wasn't working out, didn't have the command of the room. Mike Rowe was the best wide receiver coach that they had. But in the case of Aaron Moorhead, people just like some people like change just for the sole purpose of change. You have to really look at beneath the surface. What was Aaron Moorhead kind of dealt with? The shortened offseason, a very young receiver room where the veteran players were injured for most of the season. A lot of this stuff was done virtually. You didn't have a lot of time with these guys, but towards the end of the season, you started to see some of the light, the light come on for some of these guys, like a Quez Watkins, like a Jalen Rager, 
Um, and you want, you kind of just want to build on that because if you keep shuffling through coaches, that, that looks reflects very poorly on the front office. And um, it's not always on coaching. You can, you can certainly point to that in some areas, Ken Flagel and Corey Unlin in the past. And, and there's, there's many examples, but Aaron Moorhead's not one of them. Speaking of coaches, now that we heard from Sirianni a couple more times, any new thoughts, any different feelings? I did stumble upon a clip of him speaking in the locker room to the Colts. That made me feel a little bit more comfortable. It felt like he was more comfortable in his natural habitat. But uh, any, has anything changed in, in terms of how you feel about him? Well, I've kind of always perceived him to be a high-energy guy more so. I don't like to read into pressers too much. I like to see – you like to see how the players respond and how and how training camps run, and you'd like to see the rotation of players and and kind of just his offensive design and philosophy. That's really what I base it off of. And yesterday, what really struck me when he spoke on WIP, Nick Sirianni, he mentioned competition. That was something that he called a core value, something that he plans on harping on. But my question to you guys is, if if you are going to move forward with Carson Wentz you heard him mention competition at all positions given the, the the stories that have come out about Carson Wentz's ego and entitlement and ability to, and his knack for undermining coaches. Do you really think he's going to be all in on a quarterback competition in the summer? Uh, I would imagine that that's going to be a tough sell, right? I mean, don't you guys think that's a tough sell that you're going to tell Carson Wentz, Hey, you got to beat out or, that it's going to be an open and fair competition with Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I mean, and this is coming from a rookie, a, a rookie head coach, a very young coaching staff. You're having a, you know, that's his boss now. You're saying, hey, look, this is what it's going to be. Given the sensitivity, the sensitive nature of Carson Wentz, I, ha- I think that would be a tough sell for him. And you know, it's it's kind of hard for me to to fathom him wanting to be like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. I'm, I'm ready to take on the challenge and see where it goes. I think um, that would be a tough sell for sure. Andrew DeCecco, football for, you know, competition is what uh, Sirianni has brought up, you know, a couple times. You know, he brought it up with John Clark uh, on NBC as well, NBC Sports Philly, when he talked about it. And he also acknowledged, guys, that he did not do a good job at the press conference. And he kind of made light of it. I don't know if you guys caught this, but he said, I need to go back and watch the tape. I'm going to have to go back and see what I – but he kind of made like light of the fact that – he understood he did not do a good job, and I can appreciate that, right? I mean, that's something I can appreciate is, hey, I didn't nail that press conference, but eh, next time I'll do better. Yeah, I mean, self-reflection, being honest with yourself, being able to evaluate and know where where you could improve as a coach or, or how you presented yourself. Self-awareness is a, is a very um, – it's an uncommon trait that you would think that a lot of people in, in a leadership role would have, but – um, he definitely was able to evaluate where he went wrong and, and improve on that. He seemed a lot more comfortable on air. Of course, he's not in front of a, a, a room or in front of a, a bunch of people on a Zoom conference this time. But, um, I mean, just like, like I always say with everything, let things play out. It's, it's never, I never, I'm never one to snap to a, a premature judgment on a certain topic or player or situation. Just let it play out. The guy, the, the guy has the tools. He was selected for a reason. Let's see what he can do this offseason and how things sort of shake out. Uh, football 4 with Andrew DeCecco. A lot of draft stuff, as we talked about. Uh, 
the uh, mock draft uh, that was just put out by NFL.com has the Eagles taking a tight end, which uh, was kind of shocking. I was like, whoa, that's a little uh, outside the box there. But, man, would that be intriguing there. Um, at this point right now, we'll kind of keep uh, checking in with you, Andrew, on this, is uh, at this point, which way are you leaning with six? Because, okay, are you leaning with a player at six, or are you more advantageous to moving out of that spot? Well, that's a good question because it depends on how the board falls. I'm not one for reaching. If, if you really like Kyle Pitts, let's say, well, you can stand to drop down a few spots, pick up another pick, and get a Kyle Pitts, maybe even get a late round, a late first round pick, get a J.C. Horn, a cornerback from South Carolina. That's great value right there. But if a player, if you're sitting there and you see the Dolphins take a Devontae Smith and the Bengals maybe take a Jamar Chase and Penny Sewell falls to you at six, I say you hang tight, grab that tackle, and let it let it work, let it play itself out in training camp, figure out where you're going to put him because this is going to be an all pro, um, a stalwart left tackle for your franchise. And, and those guys, when you have a chance to get them, you have to because they're not very common. So. Um, I know that you have Jordan Mylotta. I understand you have Andre Dewar there, but if you have a chance to get someone like that in your in your locker room, in your building, and mold him with Jeff Stoutland, nonetheless, you go ahead and do that. So, would you say you've given up on Andre Dillard? Yes, I, I mean, I, I, I think you know. In my opinion, he was a little bit older when he was drafted. He's you have to have a certain a certain mindset, a certain physical toughness. He hasn't really exhibited that. Certainly, to me, seemed like uh, the coaches sort of uh, were a little bit down on him. He may project as a guard, for all we know. But I, I, being that that left tackle, that that blindside protector for for your quarterback, I don't necessarily know that that's his makeup at the NFL level. Do you think that teams around the league might look at him as a former first-round pick? And it's not like offensive line play is so stellar around the league where maybe there's a little bit of value there, or do you think that other teams are looking at him kind of the same way the Eagles might be? You know, it's interesting because I, I do think that there's going to be, all oh, it takes is one team out there to say, you know what, let this guy be our recreation project. The Eagles get, you know, I don't know, a fourth-round pick for the give-up. You know, they get a fourth-round pick for Andre Dillard. He hasn't really proven anything at this level, suffered from an injury. So I, I, I think there will be a team that, if they do go that route, uh, they, they might be able to kind of mold him into the player that many envisioned that he was going to be when he came out of Washington State. But um, I don't know if the Eagles are in any position right now to be able to, to afford to be able to give up uh, offensive line depth given how things have sort of transpired over the last couple of seasons. All right, uh, Andrew DeCecco, football at four at a DeCecco NFL. Don't forget the NFL draft will be all over that. The Super Bowl. We'll get Andrew's thoughts on that game on Thursday when he's back with us here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline for another edition of Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast here on the Sports Bash. All right, Andrew, take care, pal. Yeah, man, be well, guys. You do the same. And Andrew DeCecco, like all guys, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. He's brought to you by Dr. Lyle M. Back for everything from skin care to cosmetic surgery. Go to ilovelyleback.com or call 856-MAKEOVER for Dr. Lyle M. Back. It is a proud sponsor of Football at Four here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. So uh, he likes Pitts, but doesn't sound like he would be like, yes. But he did say he likes him better than some of those wideouts. Yeah, it's almost like he said something where, I don't know if I 
I feel the opposite. It's interesting. He said, I'm not going to reach for a guy. I'd rather I'd rather trade down. But it's almost like if you feel that confident about a guy, why mess around? Like, go get your guy. If you feel that strongly about you someone. You can't so say I, that. I like you can't say that to the Eagles fan base, though, who has no faith in Howie Roseman. Right. Well, I was thinking, imagine if Howie traded down and then someone ends up getting snagged right before him and he's like, oh, what What am I going to do now? Now, a trade down, if you trade it down and ended up with Pitt, say like 12, feel oh, better? Yeah, uh, yeah, I feel definitely better about it for sure. I mean, I'm not against, I, I even told you this, I'm not against trading down at all. I mean, this team has so many holes where if you, if you go that route, that's fine with me. It's just about execution. All right. Sports Bash coming up. John Clayton, the professor, will get his take on Super Bowl 55 and that golf trade. What does it mean for the Eagles and their ability to trade Carson Wentz? We'll get his reaction on that with NFL insider John Clayton from the Washington Post, who will join us, of course, on the other side. And don't forget, you can watch the show live on our website, 973ESPN.com. Simple, simple to do. Go to 973ESPN.com. When you get to the page, you'll see the link to watch the Sports Bash Live. Click on that, and you'll see the player right there. And you can watch today's show and every day's show. The Sports Bash Game Night, the Locker Room, Sports Bash Saturday. All you need to do is have Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Most people in the world have one of those three avenues to watch us. So don't forget to bookmark the page and watch the show every day the sports bash live on our website 973espn.com we're back with nfl insider john clayton from the washington post coming up next high school basketball is back at 973espn.com all right sports bash is back and live with you you can watch the show live on our website 973espn.com it's brought to you by matt blatt nissan the all-new matt blatt nissan is now open on the Black Horse Pike in Egg Harbor Township next to Home Depot online, MattBlattNissan.com. We'll talk with John Clayton, NFL insider from the Washington Post, longtime NFL columnist, and, of course, uh, this season we've had him on. We've got a lot of ups and downs and talked about a lot of stories, but now we've reached the Super Bowl and very interested to get John's take on this game. I think it's a very... Rhodes, as this game has gone on and we continue to kind of like talk about things and uncover different storylines, I think it's kind of an interesting game, especially the thing we talked about with Sal Pal earlier. Andy Reid against Todd Bowles, the two of them coached together. Bowles has kind of been making another name for himself. Remember, he was the head coach with the Jets. That didn't go so well. He just interviewed with the Eagles. So some very interesting storylines as uh, we get ready for Super Bowl 55. We're going to check out John's take on this game and much more right now here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline with NFL insider John Clayton here on the Sports Bash from the Washington Post. John, welcome back. How have you been? Uh, doing well. Doing well. We, we, the, good, the good news is, as of yesterday, we finally, since September, had the first chance of indoor dining since September. So we got 25% wow. capacity. So now uh, you know we can dine indoors as opposed to uh, trying to find a tent that has five tables and a heater. 
That's out in uh, what Washington State, correct? So uh, the people here in Jersey who have been mad, uh, just think about that. We have been allowed to eat indoors, but it's very limited, like 25%. uh, So it's really hard to do, but uh, that's crazy to hear. So, John, obviously in Tampa, they got different rules. They've been eating inside and outside and doing whatever the heck they want down there. Uh, but some of the questions that you have for this Super Bowl, number one, I, I would imagine you take a look at this, the quarterbacks. This might be the greatest quarterback matchup that the Super Bowl has ever had. Yeah, because you have the old goat, who uh, Tom Brady, going against potentially the next goat in Patrick Mahomes. And it's like, can you ever remember a time where you can see a matchup like that? Because, you know, you go through the years and, you know, one quarterback emerges, whether it was Joe Montana you know, uh, whether it was John Elway, but to have, you know, one that's already certain in Tom Brady, and now you have potentially the next one in Patrick Mahomes. And what was great to see is that we actually were able to watch the fact that they actually played against each other this year. And Patrick Mahomes had the big advantage. He jumped off to a 17 nothing lead. He passed to 462 yards and three touchdown passes to Tyreek Hill. And then, you know, 17 nothing in the first quarter uh, with two touchdown passes to Hill. And the next thing you know, here comes Tom Brady trying to climb back and at least made it a three-point game at 27-24. to John, obviously Brady is towards the end of the line here, and Mahomes is at the beginning. But I guess I want to know, like, is Tom Brady still playing at this ridiculous high level when you watch him? Like, because everybody's oh Brady or Belichick, and Belichick's team is at, and Brady's in the Super Bowl again. But are the Buccaneers here because Tom Brady is playing at that level? Well, it's not like he's playing as well as Mahomes, and you can see that he's had some some bad incidents at different points. Like, for example, you go back and he had the one stretch where he had uh, three interceptions. Uh, you know, in, on a three series drive, uh, that, you know, was in the New Orleans game. And that obviously isn't good, but he's been able to survive that. But, you know, the fact that he's been able to guide this team and really since mid season, he's actually done pretty well. And what's amazing, that's one of the great parts about this matchup is that, you know, Tom Brady did not, when he went there, did not want to do the no risk it, no biscuit type of things that Bruce Arians wants, throwing the ball downfield. But now what you have is, two of the top three teams in the league as far as throwing 21-yard air balls. Uh, and, you know, Brady, Brady's thrown, what, 69, and Mahomes has thrown 70. I mean, these are two of the best in the league. And then you see as the season went on, particularly like last week, uh, they were able to get Tom Brady to complete three passes that sailed 21-plus yards in the air. So that's kind of corrected himself. And so, I mean, He didn't have a Pro Bowl season, but he was good enough to win the games, particularly in the playoffs. What do you think the role will be for the running backs, considering you know, you're talking about Tom Brady and throwing the football? How about that running back game? I think it's going to be minimized. It was minimized in the first one, and part of that was because you know, Kansas City had jumped off to the 17 nothing lead, and basically Tom only had about uh, 12 handoffs to running backs. And so, uh, and you look at the nature of these two teams, and that's kind of the ironic part because, I mean, you saw the trend through the playoffs that the playoff teams were involved with the run a little bit more than anybody expected. Like Green Bay, for example, they had 45% runs, 55% pass. That was seventh best as far as the number of running chances that they've taken. But now what you look at, these are the two teams that of the playoff teams of the 14 that were at the bottom because they're both – 60-40 pass teams. And so uh, there wasn't much running in the first one. There wasn't much running 
in the uh, championship game, I don't think there's going to be much running. And so what I would say is that Leonard Fournette might end up having the best running day, but it's only going to probably be something like 52 yards on 16 carries. John, I know um, one of the storylines we just mentioned right before you jumped on, you got Andy Reid, of course, in his innovative offense, but Todd Bowles has, you know, had a tremendous game plan through all this, and you wonder if Bowles can kind of slow down Andy Reid's, you know, track speed offense. Well, here's going to be the problem, and that's why I think he's going to have to make some major adjustments because if Todd Bowles did what he did in the 27-24 game, it's going to have the same results because you know he tried to match up his best cornerback, Carlton Davis, on Tyreek Hill. Well, Tyreek Hill ended up with 13 catches, 260-plus yards, and three touchdowns, and most of those came against Carlton Davis. So uh, the one thing that he did in that game is have more cover one with man. Uh, I think he's going to need more cover three because he's got to find a second guy to get over there to double cover Tyreek Hill. Because if not, Hill is so fast. Davis is a four five two guy. He's not going to stay up with the uh, you know the running ability of Tyreek Hill and and now the improved route running. So it's, I think he's going to be the one make the adjustment. On the positive side, though, he is going to have an advantage on the pass rush because you know the Chiefs are down their top two tackles. You know they don't have. Uh, Eric Fisher went to the Pro Bowl this year because of the torn Achilles. Mitchell Schwartz is not going to be able to play. He's on injured reserve. And so things are kind of so shaky there that uh, Mike Remmers, who was filling in for Schwartz, moves over to left tackle. And Jason Pierre-Paul was asked about Mike Remmers yesterday and said, I don't even know who he is. Who's Mike Remmers? Who who is this guy? And you saw last week with uh, David Bakhtiari out that – you know, they ended up uh, the Bucks getting five sacks, eight quarterbacks hits on Aaron Rodgers, and so you figure Mahomes is going to get sacked several times. Yeah, I, I was just going to bring up John. They blitzed Rodgers. Can you blitz Mahomes the same way that they did last week against Green Bay? And I guess the big question is, can they overcome the loss of Fisher at left tackle and blitz as much as they did? That could be the big difference in this game. Fisher, you know, they have so many stars and names in the offensive high power, but we look at the simple offensive line, and if uh, Tampa can get after them, that might be the difference in this game, Fisher being out. Yeah, very well could be because you know know there's going to be some problems because they had to take uh, Andrew Wiley, uh, one of their guards, and put him over at the right tackle spot with Stefan Wisniewski now coming you know, off the off the bench in the practice squad to be at the guard position. So, I mean, you're, you know, it's like this is a little bit tougher than even what Green Bay had because, again, you know, they lost one guy uh, in Bakhtiari, but now you've got two guys down for the Chiefs. And so my guess is they're probably going to have to play a little bit more too tight end to have an extra body there to help block. How would you describe the Arians-Brady relationship? Because it is very unique. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I think that uh, it was a struggle at first because Brady was a little reluctant to do the no risk it, no biscuit type policy. And certainly uh, he had to be kind of stunned at how open and honest uh, and sometimes pointing Arians can be in his press conferences because he doesn't hold anything back. Well, in Bill Belichick, I mean, he hardly says anything. So it's like that has to be different. But I think the relationship warmed up because I think he continued to warm up as the season went on as far as how his adjustment to the offense. And, you know, I think he appreciated the fact that he asked for Antonio Brown. He got Antonio Brown. And even though right now he's still questionable with that knee injury, I mean, he has helped a little bit. So I think the relationship has gone pretty well and should continue into next year. 
John Clayton's with us. Uh, check out his four big questions for Super Bowl 55. He goes in depth on this game over at thewashingtonpost.com. John, I want to get your take as well. I mean, you're out there in Seattle, close to the Seahawks. There's a new quarterback in that division. They gave up a bundle to get Matthew Stafford, did the Rams. But what was your take on that trade? And then I guess to localize it for us, does that help or hurt your chances of trading Carson Wentz if you're the Eagles? Yeah, I think what it does is that uh, certainly it improves their offense because uh, Sean, Sean, Mc, uh, Sean McVay just gave up on uh, Jared Goff. He, he thought it was a lost cause. And so he wanted to unload the contract, unload the player, and so he gets a better quarterback in Matthew Stafford who can do more things than Jared Goff and not have to be overcoached to get things right. But here's where the problem is. You know, we're getting more information about the cap, and we don't know if the cap's going to be 180 or $185 million, but we know the cap's going to be tight. And so now here are the Rams with $42.2 million in dead money for, McVay, uh, for, for Goff and also for the uh, – salary, a $20 million salary of Matthew Stafford. And so that's 23.4% of the cap right now tied up on basically one quarterback position, one there, one gone. And they have key free agents to try to resign. And that put them at $35 million over the $180 million cap. That's third worst in the league, right, you know, right ahead of Philadelphia, who's at 80. And you got the Saints at 100. So now the question is going to be, who are they going to cut? How are they going to restructure contracts and who are they going to lose in free agency? Because you're looking at a team that, believe it or not, two years ago in the Super Bowl, you know, they had uh, they've lost eight starters on defense. They only have three starters left. And one of them is John Johnson, who's a free agent and a real good safety. And there's only 24 players who are on the Super Bowl that are still left on the 53 man roster. And that's, again, a roster that uh, is only two years old past the Super Bowl. So you kind of wonder. Uh, is change going to start to bring them down because it's, it's going to be a less talented team last year, next year, even though they're going to be better at quarterback. And I do think it's going to help the Wentz thing because you, you can see teams were willing to spend uh, good draft choice capital and maybe even good players to be able to do something. And you know Indy is going to be one of the most aggressive teams in trying to do something. With, we'll see about San Francisco. But, no, I think it, it keeps – the Wentz situation still alive for a trade. Yeah, and as you know, John, I mean, it seems that this is going to be a wild offseason for quarterback movement. Oh, the wildest I can ever imagine. And really, what I, I compare it to one of those things we see in the NBA every four years is that you have all these top free agents coming up, and you know they're either going to leave, get contracts re-signed, or be traded. And you know we see this in the NBA, and now you've got the star power, but what's going to be so fascinating is it's coming at a time that the cap's going down. And, you know, you're going to have – if all these quarterbacks get moved or some of them get moved, all most teams are going to have $40 million tied up like the Rams in two players but one gone. He's John Clayton. It's uh, the offseason, but the Super Bowl's for – who do you like, John? I like Kansas City. I think, uh, you know, I just like Mahomes. I like the, the star power. You know, the, the, again, they're going to have problems blocking – uh, the Bucks defense, but I think that there's a big advantage with the speed at wide receiver and the play of Patrick Mahomes that should give them the edge. Should be a good one. We're looking forward to it. By the way, what's the score? Thirty-four, thirty-one. Thirty-four, thirty-one. Some fireworks in Tampa. There'll be twenty-two thousand 
people, 30,000 cutouts, by the way, uh, at the Super Bowl. John Clayton, the Washington Post. And, of course, as all-season stuff happens, make sure you follow him at John Clayton NFL. And he, like August, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. We always love catching up with you, John. We appreciate your time, as always. Okay, thanks. All right, John Clayton here, everybody, on the Sports Bash. And John likes 34-31, gives the score and everything. I like that. Putting his neck out there, Broads. Yeah, when he said that, my eyes went up a little. That's a high-scoring Super Bowl, though. I am all for that. A lot of fun. You know, the point that he brought up, though, about Fisher being out, they got two offensive linemen out in this game. And Sal Pal brought it up earlier. Bowles has been blitzing. Could be the difference. Those two offensive linemen being out might be the difference in this game. And nobody likes to talk about offensive linemen because you're in the Super Bowl and it's glamour, glitz, glamour, skill position, especially for the Chiefs. No doubt about it. Yeah, JPP, Shaq. I mean, you can bring all the blitzes you want, but I'm just talking about just their upfront pressure. They're going to go to work, and they're going to be able to uh, – look, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be easier than with those guys in for sure. Hey, yesterday, Doc Rivers was named Coach of the Month. Today, another Sixer won an award. We have the details coming up right here on the Sports Bash Live. Don't forget, watch the show on our website, 973ESPN.com. Turn it on. Leave it on. The Sports Bash on 97. So Ben, uh, excuse me, so Joel Embiid has been named the uh, NBA's Easter Conference Player of the Month. Yesterday, it was Doc Rivers who was the Coach of the Month. He joins Brett Brown, Larry Brown, Billy Cunningham, Jim Lynham as Sixer coaches who have been named Coach of the Month. How about that? Brett Brown was a Coach of the Month one time, as bad as he was. By many people's accounts, they actually made him the coach of the month one time. And Joel Embiid wins the award for the uh, 76ers. And he joins interesting um, company as well. He joins Allen Iverson, Charles Barkley, Moses Malone, and Dr. J as the only players to win the award multiple times. So uh, some good stuff there from Joel Embiid. Player of the month there, bros. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. He, he's must-watch television every single night. Watching him, uh, I think Kevin Kincaid, the, the way he described it, it, it's unreal that we get to sit him and watch him play the way that he's playing this season. And I just can't wait to see it continue to progress. I mean, he definitely tapped into his potential this season more than ever, but I still think there's more. And, and it's scary to think that, and I can't wait to see that because there is still a, another step I think he can take. Do you agree? Yes, I do, but I do feel that, and Kevin said, the biggest difference in this team is the readiness of Embiid to win. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, we've been stressing that a lot. It's like when you get a certain age in this league, it's a grown man's league for a reason. Yeah. You take that step when you're about 27. That's that first real leap, and yep. he's, in that, he's in that window. Hey, look, anybody who's been out there who's ever coached, when you coach a kid who's 13, and then he goes to 14, and you're like, wow, this guy's way better than he was. And then when he's 15, you're like, my God, like, that jump from 13 to 15, you're like, holy mackerel, this is like a different person. And then from 15 to, say, 18, well, just think of Joel Embiid being, like, 21 when he got into the league, 22. Now he's, like, 27, I think. 26 yeah, it, or 27. It, yeah. That gap of maturity is astronomical and I think you're seeing the Sixers young stars who had look I had been saying this for a couple of years Broads. not too many teams 
your best two players are also your youngest two players. That's what the Sixers were up against the last couple of years. Because of how they built their team going through this process, they had these two great talents, but they were also their youngest two players. And that's an issue. By the way, Joe Embiid is 26 years old, so he's a little bit younger than 26. He's got another year to keep adding at it. Uh, but, yeah, now, and I think the way that you, you see his ability to get to certain spots on the floor, I think he's way more comfortable. If he gets the ball out by the perimeter, he finds ways to get to the area on the low block. He'll take that mid-range jumper. It's like he's way more knowledgeable of the game now to start out somewhere on the floor but work his way to where he wants to be and to operate there. I think that has really shown the progression in his game. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Joel, to me, Joel is at that point where I can now say, where in the past I'd say, look, he's just not mature enough. He's just not ready to win. You were frustrated because he's so talented, but I don't think he was ready to win here. I think he has gotten to the level now where Joel Embiid is ready to win. He's ready to be the best player on the best team. I agree with you. And it's, it's, I just wonder, is he, ahead of everybody else and does he need to wait because like with Ben he's and that might be the case, we need bros. to wait for him that might be the case that that's enough to get you from the second round to the finals but is it enough to get you from the second round to the NBA final I should say from the second round to the Eastern Conference finals but he might need the rest of the guys to catch up to him so you might advance from out of the second round this year because of that but it might not be enough to get you all the way to the NBA finals and ultimately win a championship but I think it shows that you're on that path. Now, I, I would absolutely be okay with that philosophy. The problem is with this fan base, imagine if they watch Joel Embiid carry you to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then Ben comes up small because he's not ready yet, and then the frustration would really intensify more than it has in the years past just because it's like, hey, they're holding Joel Embiid back from the – I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying I think that'll be the reaction. But it's a possibility that that might be what happens is in the end, those guys – might not be ready and that might be why you come up short because Brooklyn has three guys who you would say are ready all three of those guys or two of them have won a championship already and James Harden right yeah and Milwaukee has a bunch of guys who have gone through the pain of losing multiple times have they learned enough from that for that to be enough because Antetokounmpo has come up small in these situations and that group of guys. Did they add enough around Giannis to get that done? So I think it's a very interesting, I think that's something we can kind of uh, talk about in the next is this Eastern Conference, all of these teams have an interesting storyline, but I think the Sixers with Joel Embiid have, is Jason Tatum there? Is